Thank you, Janet, for leading us in that time of prayer. And I want to add my word of welcome to those who are worshiping with us today. My name is Phil, uh, the lead pastor here at Bellingham Covenant. And I'm just grateful that we have a chance now to listen to the word of God. Last week, I began a new series for Advent called Preparing the Way. And we looked at John the Baptist's commission for us to find ways to create space for God to come more fully into our lives. As we continue through this Advent series, what I'd like to do is look at the various characters surrounding the birth narrative of Jesus and look at some of the ways that they needed to create space or work through some barriers that were getting in the way of them encountering God in in a fuller way. And today we're going to look at the father of John the Baptist and his experience in Luke chapter 1. We're going to read verses 5 through 20, and this is the story of Zechariah. You're going to see the words up on your screen, but I invite you to follow along as we now stand under the word of God and, and listen to scripture together today. And so we read, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John, and he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, I I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you. Lord, would you take these words and plant them deep within our hearts? Would your spirit be at work in our lives right now? Uh, Lord, leading us to a renewed sense of hope. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, my, my hope is that this text is timely for us today. I believe it speaks into some of the challenges that we have been facing By all accounts, 2020 has been a a difficult year on many fronts, 
And my hope is that this text might help us discover how we can work through some of those experiences of discouragement. You know, if you do a quick Google search of 2020 memes, you'll find some creative ways that people have expressed this common experience of despair and anxiety and frustration this year. I wanted to pull up a couple of images. This first one is just a shout out to all of you who have had travel plans canceled this year. And so the first image is what the expectation was, perhaps a trip to the Sydney Opera House. And the image right below it was the reality, doing dishes at home. (laughs) There's been a sense of loss. This next image is for all you parents out there who are having a hard time hanging in there. This is a 2020 version of the kids' book, Good Night Moon. Pastor Jeff sent this to me, but here's the the 2020 words. Good night, moon. Good night, Zoom. Good night, sense of impending doom. (laughs) I I don't know if I just named something for you, but I know that uh, in many ways, this has just been a challenging year filled with discouragement. In our text today, we encounter a man who I would suggest to you is going through a similarly difficult year. Our text actually begins by locating the story in a particular moment, era in history. It says it was during the time of Herod the Great. Now, most historians and commentators would suggest that we put the word great in quotation marks, for Herod was actually known as quite a tyrant. This is the same man who, in Matthew 2, we discover, authorizes the killing of all the boys under the age of two because of his own sense of power being threatened. And so we see that even Zechariah is living in this this time where there is political instability. There is also religious discouragement. The, The message from the angel suggests that the people of God have been drifting And then as we zero down into Zechariah's personal life, we see that he is dealing with a profound sense of loss. Our text says that both he and Elizabeth are barren and well along in years. We hear this lament that life is not what they expected it to be, this this family life. There's this sense of barrenness, this sense of incompleteness. Now, this was particularly challenging in the ancient world, for along with just the loss of having a family, there came all kinds of other losses with not being able to have kids. One of the the realities for Zechariah and Elizabeth was the sense of social stigma. Now, you might have noticed in our text that Luke goes to great lengths to say that Zechariah and Elizabeth were blameless and upright. And there's a reason he's doing that, because in in this day and age, barrenness was often associated with a sense of sinfulness, that this has been brought upon by their own lack of faithfulness. And so Luke is speaking to that audience, saying that's not the case. But that gives us a clue into perhaps what Zechariah and Elizabeth lived through, this sense of Uh, social isolation, being looked down upon. Along with that, there was also economic instability. So children in the ancient world was what a 401k was for us today, right? That was the economic plan for retirement. And so without kids, there was a deep sense of vulnerability around how they would survive in the older years. So we see on all fronts, Zechariah navigating a, a season of deep loss and anxiety. You know, as the story unfolds, I think we can see some signs of how this is created within Zechariah, a sense of skepticism. 
a hesitancy to hope, a hesitancy to expect that God might actually show up. Now, at first, I think it's, it's almost an interesting observation here to note that Zechariah is completely surprised to find God showing up at the temple. Now, to be sure, it is a pretty intense experience, and most biblical characters respond in similar fashion. But isn't it interesting that there is this priest in the chapel, in the temple, going through this process of worship, and he's completely surprised that God shows up. I wonder if we can just notice in that perhaps a lack of expectation. He's just going through the motions, perhaps, not sure if God's actually really present in what he is doing. Well, this is confirmed even more so when we hear his response to the angel's message. Can you hear the skepticism in his reply where he says, how can I be so sure? How can I be certain? We, we hear in this a, a sense of despair, a sense of confusion, a sense of lacking hope in response to this message. Friends, I'm just wondering if that maybe speaks to you at all today. If, if you can resonate with that hesitancy to hope, does that refrain, how can I be so sure, ring true to your experience? For we, in many ways, have endured a similar year. A lot of us have endured a year of political anxiety. Wherever you find yourself on the political spectrum, it's just been a tense year, right? Maybe some of us are feeling this religious discouragement. Like Zechariah, many of us find ourselves today alone in our makeshift YouTube temples, right? I wonder if we're feeling that disconnectedness from some of those things that have anchored our faith. And we're feeling maybe discouraged or or like we're drifting. And as we zero into our own life, I, I wonder if some of us just feel that sense of loss, that barrenness in one way or another. Like Zechariah, as Luke puts it in a nice way, some of us are well along in years, and I wonder if that's been a discouraging season, wondering if our best years are past, wondering what this next season will be like. Perhaps some of us today are living through a family experience that is different than what we had hoped. That picture of what family was supposed to be is not living up to our expectations. It's interesting that the angel says one of the messages of John the Baptist is to help turn the hearts of parents back to their children. I wonder if some of us are experiencing some tension as we navigate this this year. Still others of us maybe connect with this sense of economic vulnerability. In the midst of that, sometimes these promises of hope can ring empty for us, can maybe trivialize our pain. I wonder if some of us, like Zechariah, find ourselves responding with a similar sense of skepticism, hesitancy to hope. You know, when we lived down in Longview, every once in a while when the kids were in the car, we put on the Christian radio station and there was some some good worship songs from time to time. But I have to admit that sometimes the commentators were a little bit too bubbly for me, particularly if I was having a Zechariah kind of day or I was just a little bit discouraged. And I remember this one day as I was driving, and it happened from time to time, where this one commentator liked to remind audiences that the catchphrase of this radio station was that we're always positive and encouraging. And there were a couple times where I found myself turning the radio station off in frustration, saying it's not always positive and encouraging. 
I've been like Zechariah, right? And I actually appreciate that his humanity is lifted up for us because it's our experience. Have you found yourselves in those times where you're just hesitant to receive messages of hope and they actually maybe trivialize our sense of pain? For some of us, this isn't the happiest time of the year as the carol would like to remind us. In the midst of that, though, I want us to discover in this text how Zechariah works through the skepticism and how he rediscovers and cultivates a renewed sense of hope. I believe that there's actually some good news that meets us in these places and and that there's some guidance in this text as to how we might name that skepticism but move through it. The the verse that I want us to zero in on as we continue our conversation is verse 12, where it says, When Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. I want to name a couple of things in this short verse that I think give us a bit of a pathway as to how we might work through the discouragement and rediscover God in our midst. I believe that the the starting point towards the rediscovery of hope, the cultivation of hope, actually begins with the process of lament. This verse suggests that Zechariah has been fervent in his prayer despite his discouragement. And in fact, earlier in the text, we read that he is still remaining faithful to the rhythms and the practices of prayer and worship despite his own sense of discouragement. And I I would suggest to you that part of this process of cultivating hope is like Zechariah to continue to pray, to lift up those needs, lift up those laments before the Lord. That was the starting point for Zechariah. And this is a deep biblical tradition that we are invited into this process of naming our reality. Now, I want to just notice, though, that this word prayer is very significant, that there is actually a difference between a complaint and a lament. And the difference is that a lament is still prayer, that we are still seeking God in the midst of our pain. One writer says that lament is a cry of despair with direction. We are directing these despairs, these, these laments towards God and keeping the conversation going. And perhaps for some of us, that's actually the starting point in our journey today is just to name our reality. Because friends, as believers, we face hard things and we hurt. Eugene Peterson once had this great observation. He says, when you hit your thumb with a hammer, it hurts just as much after you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior as it did before. (laughs) We hurt as followers of God. And I think the starting point towards healing is to name that. And that is what lament and prayer does for us. But here is this second part of this process that is good news that we encounter in our text, that when we pray, when we lament, we have a God who both hears us and responds to us. This beautiful word cuts through the noise of discouragement. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. We discover this this hopeful news that we can risk honesty because there is a God who, as the psalmist says, bends his ear from heaven and our cries enter his ears. 
I think the, the next step beyond lament now then is to actually listen for God's response. To have our ears open, our eyes open to the way that God is actually speaking into these hard places. I find it really notable and significant that Zechariah's consequence for skepticism is to actually be silenced. And I wonder if that's actually part of the call in this text, in the midst of the skepticism, is to maybe silence ourselves so that we can hear that still, small voice of a God who is speaking in these difficult places. To silence the voices of disbelief, silence the negative influences of media and culture, silence the voices of skepticism so that we can be attentive to a God who I believe continues to hear and respond to us. You know, this season, this Christmas season is going to be different for us than many years. It's going to be quieter for a lot of us. There will be less activity. There will be less busyness. And I wonder if in the midst of that, there is an opportunity for us as the noise of the Christmas season is silence, perhaps there is a chance for us to be more attentive to the voice of God, to notice the ways that God is speaking some words of hope, to be attentive to that. For the, many of us, our worship experience is a little bit different. We don't have the fullness of gathering the traditions that we are used to, like Zechariah, we are alone in our temples. Can I lift up the hope that God can meet us and speak to us in those lonely places? We often rightly quote that it is where two or three are gathered that God is present, but can I remind us that throughout Scripture, including in this scene, that God is also present in those lonely places, those places of isolation. God often speaks in profound ways. Can we not just write off this whole season, but hold on to the hope that God can meet us in our lonely temples this Christmas season? There is a, a beautiful quote I'd like to pull up here from the poet Rumi that challenges us to listen for the signs of hope even when we do not see a sense of fruitfulness or fullness. And Rumi says, And don't think the garden loses its ecstasy in winter. It's quiet, but the roots are down there riotous. It's quiet, but the roots are down there riotous. You know, for many of us this season... The garden does not seem like it's in full bloom. That we're not experiencing the fullness, the fruitfulness that we long to see. But can I encourage us to practice silence intentionally, to listen for the ways that the roots are down there riotous, to listen for what God is doing, how his plans are unfolding even through the process of loss and pain. I actually believe that sometimes God's greatest kingdom work is done in these lonely places, these unexpected places. Can we listen for that this Advent season? I want to encourage you, church, just to know that I, I believe in, in my own listening, as I've been getting to know you, that the roots are down there riotous at Bellingham Covenant Church. It has been beautiful for me to see the ways that the kingdom of God is continuing to expand and work through you during this season. 
One of the privileges of being a pastor is I get a front row seat to some of the underground stirrings of the movement of the Spirit. And I have been seeing the kingdom at work in beautiful ways. Through the ways you continue to connect, to see 70 of you committing to these Advent groups, to come together in community, to study and to worship. To see the acts of generosity and care. You love each other well here, and that has continued as I've seen our care team, but even just organically how you are caring and loving for one another. As we've seen today, just an example of ministry continuing in a poor part of our neighborhood. I had someone share with me this week that someone they've been praying for for years found faith in Christ this month. And they said that it made 2020 worth it. Friends, the roots are down, they're riotous here. Even though we are not experiencing the fullness of what we long for, the kingdom is still working its way through our community in powerful ways. Can we listen and look for that as we perhaps silence now the voices of skepticism and disbelief? I want to end with this hopeful observation as you continue to read Luke chapter 1. And perhaps you might read the rest of the story today, but Zechariah shows up again at the end of Luke chapter 1. And we see that in God's timing, his plans were worked out in Zechariah's life. A son was born. This prophet came to help turn people back to the Lord. And we see that the voice of skepticism, after being silenced, is now replaced with this voice of praise. And as he refines his voice, rediscovers his voice, these are the first words that Zechariah utters. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. Friends, this Advent season, as we seek to cultivate hope in the midst of our despair, I invite you into a process of lament. But then I challenge us to then listen for the way that God's response comes to us. So that come Christmas, we might join the voice of Zechariah, lifting up the name of God in praise. Because the hope that I want to declare to you today is that God has come to redeem us as well. Praise be to God. Would you join me in prayer as we now prepare to come to the table? Gracious God, I pray a prayer of praise like Zechariah, remembering that you are a God who sees us in our longings, and you are a God who has come to enter into those places, to respond with mercy and grace. Would you meet us even now at this table in our lonely temples, filling us, renewing us, uh, helping us rediscover your presence in our midst. We pray in your name. Amen.